events in planet Earth. It's Thursday, January 24th, 2019. In both the Lynn Life and the Jamie Body Mind, the authorized souls. Welcome to the Kosh Karaba podcast, a podcast series exploring the role that University of Galway and our network plays in highlighting and researching major issues in our society. For this Creative Galway edition, I'm joined by University of Galway graduate Ikena Anyabuike. Ikena is an actor, writer, assistant dramaturg, and one half of the musical duo Arm Candy. He was recently awarded the Baptiste program with Smock Alley in 2022 and the Axis Assemble 2022 with Axis Ballymon. I sat down with Ikena to talk through his creative process and to hear his thoughts on education and creativity. For me, creativity is defined by any action which necessitates some type of subconscious desire. It is critical for that person to desire that thing. So there has to be some level, for me, there has to be some level of introspection in all creative works. Something that I think a lot of people don't understand is it, it can be beautiful, it can be peaceful, it can provide like a sense of serenity, but it can also be ugly, mm. biting. Creativity is dictated by our ability, our ability to introspect and also then empathize with others. Mm. And doing so might make us not like ourselves <laughs> or others sometimes because yeah because the truth is um you know sometimes my friends think i have like a very dark outline of the world because i fundamentally do not believe that i exist in a just world mm. and i think that that scathing critique also kind of bleeds into myself which then also bleeds into my art but not so, not so much like critique as in I want to tell you what the answers are, but in the sense that I, I'm critiquing almost aspects of myself as well. You know, I was, I was talking with a lovely artist and she said something that really stood out to me and she said, you know, we're all so self-obsessed. We're artists. And I think, I think that's very true. There's a, there's a level of egocentrism. Creativity exists in this kind of strange liminal space between subconscious desires that then grow and critique themselves and analyze themselves and then grow and critique the world around them and then grow and critique the process in which they're created and it's this constant critical reflection that manifests itself in you know art music painting writing i find it's funny like you know you'll find a societal critique in what you're doing and then you'll start to really like see signs of it everywhere and start reading about it in different contexts and then you get to a point maybe where you're like do I just do this because I have some weird personal thing <laughs> do I have some stake in this game do yeah I, what's, what's my what's my angle but I but I think that's important because we live in a we live in a quite an isolated hyper capitalist world that an isolation is often rewarded work from home, which I'm a proponent of. I think it's great that it gives people the flexibility, but even work from home, getting food delivered, mm-hmm. Netflix. That's, I, I say this not to critique any of these platforms. In fact, I think they're all, you know, good things in uh, making content or food or work more accessible to those who may have physical or mental limitations. But 
the offset of that is we exist in a society now where you can choose or accidentally fall into a state of complete isolation. Mm. And as someone who doesn't actually really mind isolation, I quite like being alone for extended periods of time, much to the uh, hatred of all my friends, family, and many people that love me in my life. Um, I quite like being alone sometimes. I think it can be dangerous to view human connection as an antiquated relic. You graduated recently uh, with a BA in drama, theatre and performance with psychological studies. Uh, it's a really interesting combination of subjects and I was thinking, you know, does the psychological studies help you when you're doing like character study and what was your experience of the course? Did you find you had room to experiment a bit and find your voice? As an artist? Yeah, I mean, I loved it personally. It suited me quite well um, because it suits um, an artistic philosophy I've had for a very long time. I used to be obsessed with the Renaissance era, like absolutely obsessed. I used to be obsessed with how it came about, the different families, the Medici, this kind of bizarre space where scientists were designing parachutes with artists, where anatomy was as much a painting as it was a field that one was exploring. And I think that the delineation we draw between art and science is ultimately kind of didactic. And what I mean by that is that it just kind of limits both options. We go, oh, art is here and science is here. And we separate them into two different rooms. For me, both life, the human experience and knowledge itself does not operate like that. You know, double helix is as much an art piece as it is the construct of human DNA. You know, when we interpret our muscles through looking at diagrams, this artistic decision into how it's conveyed also helps us understand what, what we are and conceptualizing what a black hole would even look like mm-hmm. is as much a artistic framework to allow us to ana- analyze a scientific framework. And I think that this, something I really like about doing both is I was constantly in a, in a state of uh, cyclical critique of both narratives, of both narratives I was getting through art and narratives I was getting through psychology. Yeah, like do you ever find you have to hush your critic brain when you really need to just get something out and like produce? Or does it go hand in hand for you? No, I'm very, something I actually quite like about myself is I'm very self-aware, but I pretend not to be because it's more fun. Okay. It's more fun to be delusional, <laughs> like to be like a rose-tinted, like delusional artist. I'm quite aware of the fact that if you allow yourself to be kind of constantly plagued by an incessant criticism, a criticism which doesn't, which doesn't lead somewhere, which doesn't lead to some revelation or epiphany or knowledge production. Right, like a tyrannical. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. kind of like a, a dictatorship. I would call it a dictatorship of insecurity rather than... Yeah, it's a different... Because criticism ultimately leads somewhere, you know? Yeah. And it it leads to reflection, it leads to to introspection, it leads to inspiration. But if you just find yourself critiquing yourself nonstop and never producing any art or feeling like you're not good enough, it's not criticism, it's just your insecurities masking themselves as criticism. So I think... One tip is deadlines. I have deadlines for absolutely everything. Any, even if it's just a project I want to do personally, I put a time frame on it because I know it will force me to think very methodically about how I want to spend my time. Yeah. 
like thinking beyond career success and you know the obvious benefits of creating and writing what does it bring to your life that's unique that keeps you coming back mm. when i'm in the process of making art it is the only time in my life where i feel a deep never-ending connection i'm actually quite a i'm quite a i'm quite an apathetic person i try not to be because I, apathy is like a drug. It's like a, it's like it's like it's like substance abuse. It's like once you engage in it, you use it to cope, and that's and that's and that and we we live in such a such a such an uncertain world that I find that so many young people, um, especially in minority groups, become extremely apathetic, myself included. The only way I can truly resist against that is through the creation of art at least in the short term, because I feel that when I'm creating arts, I feel not even a sense of purpose, because I don't think existence has to mean something. Mm -hmm. But instead, I feel uh, a letting go of, of my hesitancy and a, and a deep spiritual connection to whatever I'm creating. I feel like connected. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I noticed you write a lot about Euros. It's like tapping into that thing where you're not apathetic and you're connecting with life or something yeah um, okay so active consent um, Charlotte's doing a piece for us which is really exciting lovely forward to reading about that um, but it's a program that has conducted research into young people's sexual experiences and attitudes towards consent since 2013 so can you tell us a bit more about your role in the play and your, your role in the project yeah so I am a ensemble member for the play the kinds of sex you might have at college. I also helped kind of develop certain scenes and write certain scenes, but it's very much so a devised process. Mm -hmm. Charlotte is, is excellent at that in giving you a scene, working on it and making sure that it travels maybe five different hands before it comes back to yours. Knee, knee jerk, my knee jerk reaction to that was, ah, because uh, <laughs> I hadn't been used to, to, the, to a situation where something I'd worked on would like travel that many rounds before getting back to me, you know. Okay. But I think I think it was actually very fruitful because it really gave me an appreciation for like collective consciousness. So yeah, I've been in kind of an actor, a writer, divisor, assistant as a part of it. Kind of that's kind of the label we all take as when we come on the ensemble. Okay. It's uh, with Charlotte being the main artistic director and it's been it's been a really great experience. It's been a privilege. Getting to act in multiple settings, different people, seeing the work touch people, seeing people communicate how much they love it, you know. Mm -hmm. We also were privileged enough to be given disclosure training by the GRCC, so the Galway Rape Crisis Centre, because inevitably, um, due to the content of the play, people do disclose sexual assault to us that has happened. Right. Um, and so we are able to handle that. And, okay, that's and great. Yeah. And send them on to the, you know, correct net networks and correct facilities. It's been a, it's been a very, it's been a very um, beautiful experience. Um, special thanks to Park McNeela, um, Dr. Park McNeela, and Dr. Charlotte McGyver for just kind of, and Dr. Siobhan Higgins. It's a lot of doctors, and I'm just there chilling with my little, with my little smile in the back. <laughs> but um, and for just I all, doctor, <laughs> but they're all for this. They're they're all just they know for real, just for their great work and their consistent um, push for change. And you know, I've been blessed to work with an amazing cast and. 
that has been interesting. But like yeah. I said, it's been a real privilege. We also got to do a culture night mm-hmm. at the Galway Reef Crisis Center um, amongst, you know, psychiatrists, survivors, and just people who wanted to come in. Uh, I'm really pleased with what Active Consent is doing yeah. because sex, sexual education and consent literacy is is needed for every aspect of life. Yeah, it's um, important. Yeah, and I often something I often say is it's not just about sex. It's extremely it's critical that consent literacy is needed for sex, but yeah. it's just not it's not just about sex because consent makes every aspect of a person's life better. You know, something I would often say in talkbacks is. I love boxing. I love fighting sports. I do, did Muay Thai and then did boxing for three years before that. And I would love fighting sport. But if I go out and just find some random guy on the street and just punch him, that's really messed up and that's yeah. assault. But if both of us like shake hands, talk to each other, agree to go meet up in a boxing club mm-hmm. and agree to spar, maybe one of us spars you and, and we go, oh, getting a little tired now and stop. Mm-hmm. That's a lovely sparring session and a lovely gym partner and someone you want to continue right. that relationship with. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good way of putting it. I guess you've kind of already touched on this already, but do you see art as an impactful vehicle for social change? And is that something that can be taught in education? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of a few people. I'm a big fan of a woman named Susan Lauren Parks in terms of playwriting, but and I'm a huge fan of a man by the name of Augusto Boa who was a Brazilian theatre maker who designed a form of theatre called Theatre of the Oppressed. And what he would do, he would go to impoverished areas and basically do these plays that would communicate how to strengthen interpersonal relationships and explore things like mutual aid and explore things like spousal relationships, build like healthier communities and also to give people the opportunity to engage with the arts. Mm. And I think... I am a huge fan of this book called Theatre and Cognitive Neuroscience, highly recommend. But it's an excellent book and it's really interesting because your mirror neurons are more engaged when you watch a play than when you watch a movie. Really? Your, yeah, your, your blood pressure, your, um, well not your blood pressure, pardon me, your heart rate, your, your, your blood flow, all these things go up when you watch a play. Yeah. Um, they've actually scanned people's brains or after seeing a play and they found that there, there are certain sections of your, of your, of your body, like your amygdala and certain sections in your deep, uh, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex are more engaged. Right. There, there's, right. there's a, there's an increase in intensity mm-hmm. because, and I think it's because theater exists in this interesting psychological nexus where it's not real, but the bodies are, the physicality mm-hmm. is. If an actor was to fall six feet from a stage, mm-hmm. that would be an actual human being. And yes. your brain goes, whoa, this yeah. is too real, even though I know it's not real. So it mm-hmm. has a more visceral effect on your, on your, on your nervous system, wow. both as an actor and as a performer. The, and I think we underestimate just how much of our scripts and our uh, cultures are dictated by media both for positive and negative you know i would be a huge fan of um reading about black philosophy and civil rights and things like that and the depiction of black people in media played plays a large role and has played a large role in enormous negative racial stereotypes yeah and i think it's only kind of now that people are beginning to resolve attempts to resolve that or attempt to show more positive portrayals or just depict 
and people as human beings. And I think mm-hmm. we, we deeply underestimate the, the impact that art can have on culture and on opinion and on thoughts, you know. I was just reading about Audrey Lorde recently, actually, and she was talking about how, you know, poetry can be transformative in that way because it's mm-hmm. not all about rational thought and the mind in this very, like, stereotypical way. Mm. And I find it so refreshing because I was like, yes, it's so true. Just trust that you have something to say. Yeah, Audrey Lorde is fantastic. Highly recommend for anybody listening, just even her essays on poetry is not a luxury. That's what I was reading. Phenomenal, like, it's just phenomenal work. And something I think is really beautiful about um, Audrey Lorde's work is the irreverence she has for the the beauty of creating without a construct that dictates what that creation is and becoming more in touch with yourself. Oh, because we do live in a capitalist society and you do have to make money. Doing so can often allow us to become spiritually disconnected with ourselves because we're creating for an end goal rather yeah. than as an, explore, as an explorative one. Yeah. So... There's a great quote she has, and I think she goes, like, revolution is not a one-time act. One is not free until everyone is. And while that might seem utopian, utopia implies that a better world, an ideal world cannot exist because human, human beings are just inherently, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, barbaric monsters. Um, maybe I'm being very uncharitable to that. Maybe it's <laughs> that the constructs that make human beings human and create countries and borders of geopolitics do not enable a utopia to exist. However, I still feel that if we can imagine a world and we can create it, I mean, if we, if we went to space, put like a dog in space in a spacecraft, and then we also put a human being on the moon with technology that was equivalent to half what an iPhone is now, mm. we, could probably, we, could, we could probably fix a lot of other things then. So, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's not like you necessarily need to arrive at a monolithic solution. It's yeah. like it's a work in progress anyway. It's like more about how do you realize those ideals in, in small ways, I'd say, rather mm. than just like. So a reading of your full-length play, Black Magnolia featured in this year's Dublin Theatre Festival. Would it be possible to take a moment um, just to read through a small excerpt of the play? Absolutely. Now, it's a very strange our little play um, <laughs> with two main characters, Felix and Naji, going back and forth. Um, the character of Naji comes across this woman called Tesha, um, who is a writer. And Naji wants to be a writer, but her father wants her to do law. And so there's this kind of interesting struggle between wanting to do what her father deems is the right, smart thing to do versus choosing a path for herself. And so they have a discussion back and forth. And Tesha says, I'm going to tell you a poem. I'm going to tell you this thing I've been working on. And maybe you can help me finish it. So I'm going to actually read this section from Tesha now. So I will read now for Tesha. You're right. Full disclosure, it's not finished. If a burst of inspiration hits you, feel free to wrap it up. This poem is called Illegal Dogfights. It's a working title. I think, I think, I think, I think I'm stuck. I think I'm fixed in a place without a name, a face, but I'm waiting for you. All these lives I've lived, all these lives to live, and I'm still waiting for you. As a child, I was blue. I'm yellow now. 
soon to be on the brink of pink. We'll let joy come through. Bishop said awful but cheerful. Joyce taught pigs in great skies. Thoughts on these cobblestone streets. But now I'm waiting for you. I know you're not coming today. But the waiting is fun. The bees do hum and life skips in the sun. One day, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days. I thought you'd arrive on the third, but I guess that'd be on the nose. I'm waiting for you outside the deli. I'm waiting for you in the cafe. I'm waiting for you on the old bridges in smoke rising above the chimneys. I'm waiting for you outside pubs as old men with cigars puff out their nostalgia and smile at the warmth tipping by. I'm waiting for you outside the dole office. All these people looking with their hard smiles and cheerless eyes. I'm waiting for you outside galleries, the bustle of all these people and their lives. Church cathedrals, run-down post offices, the little shop where everyone goes to buy those bizarrely fun electric scooters. No, officer, I don't have a license for this vehicle. Good luck catching me alive. Dull light of the cinemas on an independent film. Long queues at the A&E. And why the f are the bins always so stuffed and why is rent always so high and no a french beret is not putting on airs or being exotic i just have a sense of style and don't you dare charge me 650 for a f***ing pint don't you dare tell me not to worry about things water is pooling up but i'm still stuck all these lives i've lived all these lives yet to live i think i spend too much time in my head but here i am again i wanted to be stupid ended up being brave i think i'm growing i think i'm growing i think i'm growing into a kid again I think, I think, I think of you. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and maybe I should just stop waiting. On fire, so am I. Light bleeding out this broken heart. So, during my during my first semester, I applied for the Baptiste program in conjunction with Smart Alley, and then I got it. And so that was great. <laughs> and, uh, that was that was that was lovely. I got to work with the lovely um, Pamela McQueen and um, and um, Lucy and Lucy Ryan of Smart Alley. They're just two fantastic people to work with. Mm-hmm. And I got to be introduced to lovely people who I'm, I'm grateful to have been colleagues with and I'm blessed to call um, friends, you know, um, to go go heart, mm-hmm. um, an excellent poet and Nandi Jola, an excellent, excellent um, writer and poet and scholar and Isosa, who is a phenomenal director. Mm-hmm. And you know all these all these different people that I that I got to interact with. I decided to integrate that kind of into my thesis. Mm-hmm. So I did my thesis on post-colonial theater, and so I decided to read a lot about France Fanon, who was <laughs> who, who wrote three plays, okay. two of which we have, uh, yeah. one of which is lost, okay. and was also a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and did a lot of um, work on decolonialism within psychology and um yeah just i just read so much about france Fanon because i was like yes i get to i get to read his plays and then i also get to read all the cool philosophy and psychology that he did yeah. and then I, and so I, I still need to read his plays it's ridiculous anyway. they're they're the second one i didn't like as much the drowning oh. eye is actually really good because it's a very indulgent play 
but I like a little bit of indulgency because it's kind of these characters talking as if they're just conceptualizing certain things and they Mm -hmm. there's so much repetition and there's so much like back and forth about the ideals about love so there's there's actually a lot I like about it it was the kind of the poetic language I drew inspiration from I drew inspiration from Susan Laurie Park's theories on writings highly recommend her play Top Dog Underdog as well as I read the America play conceptualizing or even if there is a concept of blackness mm-hmm. um, in terms of writing for the Baptist program there was like a reading list so mm-hmm. I was reading all these kind of um, works from black writers but mm-hmm. one work really really stood out to me which was uh, Anzari Kane's Misty yeah. love that play love right. that play so much probably probably one of my favorite plays of all time probably top five if I'm being honest and I think the script for that is so um, energetic, so raw, so visceral, mm-hmm. while still being so playful. All, all this, let us say, all this kind of like amalgamated in, in a really fruitful development time because for the Baptiste program, I had to develop a play. Mm-hmm. So, but I was also developing it for my thesis. Mm-hmm. And then, so it kind of meant that I did so much studying into post-colonial theater that mm-hmm. I felt really, I felt really inspired. You know, I did a lot of, I did interviews. Questions like, oh, tell me, tell me colors you associate with summer. Tell me things you associate with summer. Okay. Across all these different people I interviews of different race or ethnicity or mm-hmm. nationality. So I'm like, okay, there's a universal appreciation going on here. Because okay. what the play is, is two 17-year-olds called Felix and Naji mm-hmm. who have just finished their last day of school. It's just basically them trying to cope right. as they kind of grow and yeah. reach adulthood and the trials and tribulations and existentialism that comes with all that okay prime moment in life prime moment. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun script it's, it was very fun to write just moving on to where you're at now so you're continuing at university of galway yeah, for yeah. your postgrad in creative arts management yeah um so what sparked your interest in that career path um I like, I think something that's important is that a lot of artists are really good at the creative side, not so good at the business side. It's something that I kind of notice even amongst very, very good, like more respected artists. You'd be very shocked to know the amount of artists who do not know how to do an invoice. I didn't know how to pay taxes. I used to teach myself that stuff. I had to do a start your own business course. Yeah, It's, It's crazy. Like, and I think that... I'm very interested in the financial aspect to art um, mm. because, you know, it's capitalism. So it is, it is kind of commodified, but there is something, there is some, there is a really important quote I, I heard from someone and they said, your budget is as much an artistic aspect to the artistic creation as the script itself. Mm. And the conversation was that, you, sometimes you know it's it's about knowing it's about knowing how this financial aspect to it is also a part of that artistic process. Yeah. Do I am I like say with certain things I do I'm like I also do sound design and I can play like four instruments and mix mm-hmm. and I can't master so I will send it off to a mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. But I'm like okay that means I know I can do all that so I don't really need to hire a sound engineer. I have pretty top 
tier recording equipment like in terms that I've invested in yeah. that became a hobby that just spiraled out of control all of a sudden you've got a full setup like a full setup and people think I'm recording in a studio it's just something <laughs> well it honestly sounds like it because <laughs> it comes down to valuing your time as well mm-hmm. and I think in the art world like there's so many relationships where you're adding value to each other true you know and it's kind of gets confusing sometimes so I think a lot of us could do with some education around management. Management is a thankless job. We were discussing this with someone the other day. Mm. It's often a very thankless job. I'll take a good stage manager over a lot of good other things any day of the week. I'd rather have like a very good stage manager by my hand mm. than like, I don't know, a cool smoke machine or something. Like because like it's yeah. it's very underrated just how critical it is to get all these moving pieces and to have someone you can communicate back and forth with and to have someone who will go okay you need to call it like mm-hmm. you spent too much time on this oh my god you need yeah. to yeah those are the hardest things um, and would you be interested in doing that kind of thing yourself no I'm more <laughs> so like, it's thankless <laughs> <laughs> no my ego couldn't handle that I need the praise no I'm just kidding but um, oh well I'm a creative at heart I like the act of creating I can manage other people if like I especially do that a lot with music like with music we're booking studio sessions, we're booking artists. Um, probably my weakest thing is probably time management, but there is an element of professionalism I want to develop in the sense that, you know, I want that when people work with me, they're, first of all, that they want to come back and work with me again, and that they're, that they know that they're in good hands. Just lastly, in your view, how can third level education support students on their path to becoming professional artists? I know it's a big question, but you know, mm. since you're in the midst of it. I'm going to say something slightly controversial here. Now, a lot of people <clears throat> come into uni expecting that the university will provide them the opportunity. And it will to an extent. It will give you an infrastructure. I can confidently say, like, without a shadow of doubt, that I learned a lot. Like, a lot. Because I was already an art nerd kind of coming in. Like, I knew quite a lot about art. And I learned so much more. Mm-hmm. And gave me, especially with writing, it gave me, like, a confidence and a, like, a skill range that I could have. I feel like I can have a conversation across many different fields now. Like, I, everything I did, I used, like, university to experiment. But also to, like, create stuff mm-hmm. I like that I could then show other people. So, like, I would constantly be doing stuff in college and if I felt that it was in any way applicable to my life, I would just be like, I'm just going to go out and experiment this. Yeah. So for my arts management, I was like, I'm just going to experiment different forms of advertisement since we, since I'm currently doing an arts management module. Yeah. Not the post I'm doing now, but for my bachelor's, I'm just going to, I'm just going to see what works. Do posters work? Do this work? And like, what, what, what is the, what is the, what is the, the defining factors? Does it change across? And I would just come back, ask my lecturer for some advice. Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they, and they like that, you know. I would always be using the work that I had done in college mm. outside of college, which right. meant that if I was going to do that, it had to be good. <laughs> okay. So it was kind of like a, like a, like a circular feedback loop because mm. I wanted to use the work I was doing in college mm. to show, Hey, this is what I can do. I couldn't be like, Hey, this is what I can do. And yeah. it was like rushed and terrible <laughs> because then I would have to then go and make something else. Yeah. So it was kind of nice that like, so many times, like, I just someone would be like, oh, what's an, what's an example? I just, an assignment I did in college, send it to them. 
the university is a place where you meet lots of interesting people. That's it. And, so and it's a place where you can really just take risks. Like I feel like I took risks yeah. throughout my entire academic years, and it, and it and the good thing is once you get used to taking risks, you'll get better and better at even doing things like applications, even doing things like applying, and then you'll reach a point where you're like, I'm getting everything that I want. And this is weird. That was Ikena Anyuike. Many thanks to Ikena for his insights on creativity and education. And a huge thank you to you, our listeners. Please join us for more podcasts in the Koshkarba series at University of Galway on SoundCloud or at impact.universityofgalway.ie.